Hello and welcome to the Research Ops podcast, an initiative of the Research Ops community. I'm your host for today, Bridgette Metzler. I'm one of the co-chairs of this huge global volunteer-run community. As always, I'm assuming if you're listening, then you might know a little bit about Research Ops, the mechanisms and processes that set user research in motion. If you'd like to know more about Research Ops, you can find us at our website, researchops.community, or on our Medium publications in English, French, German, and Portuguese. Follow us at Team Reops on Twitter. Find the group on LinkedIn and join the conversation at hashtag researchops. We're recording a special series of the Research Ops podcast in preparation for ReopsConf, a partnership between learners and the Research Ops community. The conference is on in New York City, Wednesday, June the 8th. Today, we'll be speaking with Alice Kiernan and Lucy Sutton from the Department for Education in the UK. Alice and Lucy will be sharing five key things they learned when they built a research ops function for over 100 user researchers. At the conference, they'll explore what not to do, how to get started, and how to ensure your REOPS team delivers value long into the future. Today, we'll dig into the history and share some of their triumphs and challenges. But first, let's meet Alice and Lucy. So Alice is a user research operations lead and user researcher at the Department for Education in England in the UK. Previously, Alice worked in marketing and communications for local government before moving into user research, where she quickly saw the need for research ops. Working with the head of user research to establish the research ops team, Alice has been there from the start of the department's research ops journey and looks forward to sharing insights, inspiration, and reassurance to anyone at the beginning of their research ops journey. Lucy is also a research ops lead at the Department for Education in England in the UK. One of her proudest achievements is co-founding a cross-government community of over 150 research ops professionals. She's excited to share her journey of research ops in the public sector and talk about how research ops works at scale. Together, Alice and Lucy have built research ops from the ground up at the Department for Education for a community of over 100 user researchers. And so welcome to the show, Lucy and Alice. I'm so pleased that you could join us and so pleased that you're going to be coming along to Research Ops Conf 2022. Oh, my goodness. Um, so uh, you both know and, and I know that that Department for Education uh, in the UK has been on this Research Ops journey for quite a while. And uh, I think it's really exciting that you're going to be able to actually share what that journey has been like with us. Just to yeah. sort of get us started, can you uh, can you let us know um, when did you start and, and how did that happen? <laughs> well, <laughs> where do we start? Um, so research ops in DFE was it was always going on in the background yeah. across teams across services as always. Um, yeah, as it always is in organisations. Yeah, um, but it was never pinned down. It was never defined um, until our previous head of practice, um, Sophie Sophie mm-hmm. Boyd. Um, managed to get some budget for uh, a centralised research ops function um, uh-huh. and that's where I came into the picture so I was um, exclusively a user researcher 
uh, working on a team that was ultimately disbanded. The work was sort of descoped by uh, ministers and it was just no longer viable for us to continue as a project team. So I was looking for other opportunities. Uh, I had a chat with Sophie about the role and she said, you know what, we need we need someone who knows a bit about research. And mm-hmm. um, I thought, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll have a look. And I looked at the job description. I thought, okay, I could probably add some value here. Um, so yeah, leap of faith, went for it, got it. Um, and that was sort of the end of 2019, um, uh-huh. which feels like a lifetime ago now with everything <laughs> that's just... happened since. Oh, it really goodness. does. Yeah. And so, so yeah. what did that job description look like? What what was it that sang to you? It was, to be honest, it was making a difference which you know ultimately is what drew me to research in mm-hmm. general uh, user research specifically um you know my background's in comms and marketing um and i it, it always irked me a little bit that it wasn't always necessarily focusing on doing what was right for users it was generating uh-huh. profits um and that's what led me into user research and then as a result research ops was sort of the cherry on top of you can make a real difference to not just users but user researchers so it's like you know a double a double-edged sword so to speak so yeah that's what that's what drew me to it and I think the community around uh, reops as well was really it was fascinating to me back then because it was it was such a new emerging area um, mm-hmm. and it felt fresh and exciting and although it was already being done it was like an opportunity to meet people with you know similar mindsets and mm. um, yeah that's that's ultimately what what drew me to it. Okay. And Lucy, how about you? When did you get involved in research operations? Well, so I guess it probably started when I was working in service operations. So we had like a really big program of about five different service lines and a program of about 100 people. And I started working in this team called service operations in August 2019 um I was just trying to bring everything together and make sure that you know services were aligned with each other we knew how to deliver things and we were all talking Mm -hmm. to one another and I guess that's sort of my background of like helping people get to where they need to get to Uh um and I started working with the user researchers in that program um because those were the blockers that we ran into the most And I guess I was doing research operations, but I just didn't have a name for it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I didn't have a name for it until Alice was introduced to me, actually, Uh um, as working in research operations. And I was like, oh, that sounds really similar, actually, to what I'm doing. Uh (laughs) That's what I need. Um, And that's how we met. (laughs) Right. Okay. And and you both um, you both sort of come to the table with different skills. Do you want to tell me about about that? What's that dynamic been like for you? <laughs> Interesting, hasn't it, Lucy? Um, <laughs> That's one way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, shall I kick us off on that one? Yeah. <laughs> you can go go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah. So so back when Lucy's just made a really good point there about um, research ops, and she didn't know what research ops was until she was introduced to me. And that felt like the case across the board. Um, it became, right. oh, Alice is research ops. Oh. I was no, I was no longer Alice who was working in research ops. I was research ops. You know that. I mean, I had um, there was no team around me, so it was it was me on my own. Um, as a you know a newbie to the area, um, and it, it was it was a really interesting time, and it kicked off an interesting dynamic between 
I think everyone across the community because there was so much demand for my time and um you know my brain power that was slowly yeah. dwindling because of all <laughs> of the, the various demands across the board um and so at that time how many people how many teams were you servicing oh teams would be difficult to put put my yeah, finger okay. on to or be people, honest but re- researchers mm-hmm. um were talking it was so in 2019 we I think we had around I want to say around 60 permanent researchers. Um, Mm. I seem to remember that being the the ballpark figure. Um, And then as we grew, we grew very rapidly within DFE. Research was sort of really heavily prioritized. And we quickly grew up to a community of around a baseline of 100, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. which is, yeah, it it goes up and down. But the baseline is around 100 researchers. So, yeah, that, that was an interesting uh, dynamic when Lucy and I were introduced because Lucy like many in the organization thought that I was one of many research ops uh, yes. within the department um, I sat in so many meetings where they were like oh hang on a minute you're the only research ops person and I'm like <laughs> yeah just me I am research ops <laughs> so uh-huh. And and so, um, Lucy, tell me uh, about the dynamic from your your side of things. How did that work? <laughs> so, I I came from more of a delivery management mm-hmm. side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, no user research experience. I am very much. I like to get things done. I'm uh-huh. very efficient. Um, as all my team know. Um, <laughs> and I think. When Alice came in, I was working on some data protection stuff. Oh, yes. And we really needed, like, how do we manage data and how do we make sure it's secure? Um, but how do we do that? So we had all of that from, like, a departmental point of view. Yes. But it was harder to kind of fit it into that user research box. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember chatting to Alice about it because that was my top priority, and Alice was like, oh, yeah, okay, like, we're definitely looking at that. That's something that's going to be coming soon. I'm thinking, mm-hmm. great. On the very long couple of to-do weeks. list. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think because I yeah. thought it was my biggest priority, uh-huh. I thought it was just Alice's biggest priority as well. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why not, right? Yes. <laughs> Which, you know, looking back now, being in Alice's position myself, was a grave mistake but at the time I was just thinking where's this policy why can't we get this policy out um and I think yeah that that created a bit of tension I think it's mm-hmm. fair to say for us Alice mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and and that that tension I mean I I think tension's probably a good word but not necessarily accurate in every case but <laughs> there was that undertone of like frustration for me mm-hmm. um but also for researchers, because it was, you know, as Lucy said, Lucy came to me with uh, data protection being her main priority. And I had 100 research, 60 mm. to 100 researchers coming to me with so many different priorities. And yes, there were overlapping priorities. And that's where we, we decided to, you know, put our efforts and, and focus mm. our energies. But it was hard. It was really difficult in those early days to be able, to, you know, because I was... I wanted to build a good, positive relationship with people across the community. People already knew me as a user researcher. But Mm. I've never sort of been in a role like Research Ops where delivery is sort of like the massive focus um, and delivery across so many different teams. And it was it was sort of a period of me trying to settle into the role while also making connections with people and and Mm. sort of juggling all these Mm. different things and ultimately trying not to let people 
down. Um, yes. But I think the bottom line was that the 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 expectations weren't managed well and Mm. and partly from me but partly from you know others in the organization who were going out there and waving the flag for research ops um Mm -hmm. we had all this energy around research ops but not necessarily the infrastructure to back it up and that became really apparent and it started to it it proved a lot of opportunity and it kind of gave us a um scope to have these conversations with senior people and and broader conversations across the organization to say you know what people really need this yeah we need to we need to grow we need to grow sustainably and we need to grow sensibly to be able to Mm. deliver what people people need Mm. so yeah so I'm I'm definitely seeing um so your, your conference talk I know you've got sort of you know five things that everyone should should learn from uh from from your experiences um and certainly it's resonating with me, you know, I'm in a team of two, we're servicing, uh, I don't know, 250. It's, yeah, it's, um, but that's, you know, anyway, it's, it's about, it's a similar kind of a thing where you've got to sort of create that visibility of, of mm. all of the work so that people can understand exactly why that data policy is not ready yet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, at the conference, you'll be you'll be giving these these five lessons. So, would you like to sort of cover maybe maybe a few of those, or just let us know what what the top five things might be that you'll be covering, so that we could know what we might learn if we if we came along? Yeah, sure. So, I think you know we we've picked out five things um, that we're, we're aiming to get across in mm-hmm. our story, and and the first thing being um, so sort of seizing the opportunities. So. Um, for us, that was um, looking at what we had around us. Um, so COVID, although it was a real challenging time, it sort of put uh, it, it put the foot on it put our foot on the accelerator in many senses because we had to just get things off the ground. And at that point, it wasn't so much at looking at like all the fancy things we could be doing. It was just what could we do there and then. So, for example, you know, building an insight library for the department, which is what I was responsible for during that. Um, that period I knew there were a load of different solutions out there but ultimately what met our needs was Google Sheets <laughs> um, and you know it's getting across that you don't necessarily have to go out and procure something fancy to meet the needs of your users um, so that's that's sort of the first thing and that's just a very small example of, of what we might talk about but yeah and then Lucy do you want to <laughs> add? Yeah. Um, so we're talking about controlling the variables within your control And I think that's what I focused on quite a lot in the last 18 months is what what can you do? What's in front of you? You know, DFE is a huge department where Mm -hmm. responsibility lies in lots of different places. And even outside of DFE, you're all knowing your own companies that sometimes you start something, you just get blocked. And -hmm. actually, is that worth the effort right now? Or should you move on to something where you can have a bigger impact? Um, yeah. So we'll be chatting about that as well. Fantastic. And I bet with your skills uh, in delivery, that would have been, yeah, sort of come very <laughs> naturally to you. <laughs> yeah, I was very much like, no, we're not doing that. Full stop. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we're doing. This is how we'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. And that actually leads into like the other thing we want to talk about is about the power of community. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm not just talking about the people in the global research ops community who are yeah. a fantastic hive mind, but the people around you. So 
Lucy came to us with a delivery management background and she was sort of the angel I didn't know I needed <laughs> you know at the time it was because when we were talking about setting up a research ops team and growing that team we we were like we need researchers we need people who know what they're on about we need people uh, who've done the, you know done the work of but actually taking a step back yeah we thought hmm we need doers we need deliver you know people who deliver and I'm not saying yeah. researchers don't because we do I'm not gonna you know say no. that we don't because we, we definitely do but we needed that skill set and that diversity um mm-hmm. and I think we we as a team are a very diverse team in so many different senses mm-hmm. and that brings great strength so I think it's it's scanning the people around you and thinking okay you might not come from a research background but you're amazing at you know dealing with policy people so can you mm-hmm. help you know you don't necessarily have to just stick to the people in the know to get things delivered and I think that has been a massive strength for the growth of our team okay. we've got a real blend of skills um so yeah, yeah that's that's point three actually it's about you know not going it alone in research ops because it's so easy to bury your head and think oh my word how do I move forward with this but yeah the, the answers are out there you know you don't need to reinvent the wheel but equally yeah. you do have to tease out those skills that that people have to help deliver what you need mm-hmm. to get off the ground mm-hmm. yeah and I, I think that leads us in nicely as well to managing expectations we, mm-hmm. we've already spoken a little bit about but yeah like you've got this community out there who are all expecting great things from you and I think whereas Alice when you came in it was trying to do like lots of things to kind of try and improve things one by one and then when I came in and I sort of so saw the position that I'd put Alice in personally but also everybody else had as well and I thought oh wow like yeah I'm not going to be put in that situation myself um so I could learn a lot from what had happened before um and that's when we said things about like recruitment no we're not touching that at the moment there's only two of us there's a hundred user researchers there's not enough capacity in the team Um, but actually this is the thing we are working on data protection has been my baby for the last 18 months and that's very much what we've delivered yes Um, and now as we're we're getting a bit bigger again as Alex comes back into the fold we can start looking at those bigger strategic things Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. so I've been away for a while you know having a baby and keeping it alive so that's been uh, (laughs) that's been quite an interesting life change but that you know that in itself was a massive disruption to research ops um because I was focusing on um delivering knowledge management and then all of a sudden over overnight I was I was gone well not overnight obviously it takes time but yes but that you know that that was put on hold because because Lucy as she's just pointed out had other priorities she was focusing on and Mm -hmm. actually more important at that moment in time was what Mm -hmm. Lucy was delivering um so that's basically the essence of our talk it's about Mm. looking at like the, the overarching needs of people and making sure that you, you're focusing on that and not getting lost in the detail of sort of demands if that makes sense it's basically user research isn't it it's focusing on people's needs not that not the wants and and scaling it you know appropriately um yeah yeah so yeah. That's, that's where we're at fantastic um well that sounds uh, you know really really exciting I think everyone you know needs to sort of it's such early days for research operations. It's fantastic to be able to hear, you know, these are the things that didn't work or these are the things that were hard. Um, uh, so that sounds, yeah, really exciting. I can't, I can't wait. It's just resonated so much with me already. I just can't wait to be there and, and hear the whole thing. Um, 
so I do have a tricky question for you um, because it's the one that everyone always asks, which is where do you think, so if I'm, if I'm creating research operations or I'm, I'm new to the role, where should I start, do you think? <laughs> With the benefit of hindsight, where yeah. would you have started? <laughs> um, truthfully, wherever feels right at the time. Because I think what we did, what we focused on was, as Lucy says, the eight pillars. And we, we were looking across those eight pillars and thinking, right, we can do this, 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 and this. And actually, we couldn't. I was a team of one. But there were things in front of me that I, I thought, you know what, that's a quick win. And I hate to use that phrase because, you know, you don't want to go for the lowest hanging fruit. But sometimes in research ops, to get it off the ground, that's what you need to do. And I think for me, we were looking too big too soon. Yeah. Um, and, and that did, I don't want to say damage because it wasn't damaging in the long run. It got mm -hmm. to where we needed to be. But in mm -hmm. the short term, that made it difficult for me to have those conversations with people who, like Lucy, were coming to me and saying, where's this up to? Um, and, you know, the benefit of hindsight is making sure you've got the right people in place. And I'm not saying I wasn't the right person for the job. But mm -hmm. I think the skill set that, you know, other people brought. So Tom and Lucy have got far more uh, focus on delivery. Yeah. Uh, I think you need that blend of people, even if yeah. um, even if you don't formally work together, have somebody there to help you prioritize. Don't sort of try to do everything in one go. Do yeah. what you can with what yeah. you've got and who you've got around you. Yeah. Um, Lucy, I don't know if you want to add anything there from your yeah. sort of midway joining point. <laughs> so I think I didn't have the benefit of hindsight because I had all of Alice's experience mm -hmm. to learn from and build from. Yeah. And where I started really was, one, just trying to listen and tap in to what was already going on. Yeah. And where I actually started was looking at consent um, yes. and how could we standardise it a little bit. Mm. Um, and it was really a quick win. It was something yeah. that we could say, hey, Reops had made you a template. Um, and also it gave me a lot of insight doing it because I could see what was already out there and go, you know what, my researchers have a really good understanding of ethics, yeah. um, but where they're struggling a little bit more is say granularity mm. of what data we hold and what options we give people. Yeah. Um, and that gave me quite a lot of insight into the community as a whole. Um, mm don't focus your energy into ethics because mm -hmm. there's a lot of people out there who already have a really good understanding um so we did a little bit of that we did a little bit of data protection for user researchers as a whole mm -hmm. um and then a lot of it was just people just wanted to know am I doing the right thing and a right. lot of the time they were doing the right thing they just wanting something written down that they could refer to right. um and that's where we focused a lot of our energy on the past uh -huh. 18 months is guidance and templates and yeah. pointing people to the stuff when they first come in. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. um, I was just going to say, doing it that way, built a lot of trust. People saw us delivering like something. Yeah. There was a template that we could point to. There was a document that they could point to and say, Reops have done that. Yeah. I think it definitely got to a point where, <laughs> I don't want to say that we we proved ourselves to be too valuable, but it definitely got to a point where I was like, oh, hang on, like everybody knows about us and everybody uh, yeah. wants something to do with us. And then we had to pivot again and 
mm-hmm. work out how are you going to scale. Um, but yeah, careful. definitely have the benefit of hindsight. <laughs> My mum always says, careful what you wish for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> I always think about that with research operations because yeah, it doesn't just um, scale your operations, it scales the research too. And that can be uh, a bit of a, yeah, <laughs> a bit mm. of an approaching storm. Um, fantastic. Sorry, and Alice, you were going to um, you were going to say something just a moment ago. No, I was just going to say, I think the benefit of hindsight for me as well is realising that a lot of the thinking has already been done in this area. Um, okay. So certainly within government, we're very fortunate to have um, sort of a centralised government digital service who do a lot of thinking and a lot of research in this area. So people may be familiar with the service manual, the UK government oh, yes. service manual. It's amazing. Not it's it's well. the Bible, you know, it's, yeah. it's the Bible that researchers refer to, but actually new researchers coming in aren't always aware of these things and that's you know uh-huh. Lucy said our job isn't necessarily to recreate these things that are already out there a lot of our job is is sort of signposting if you will and that makes it sound so simplified but it can just be that in essence you know po- pointing yeah. people to things that already exist and I often think of research ops as a curation role mm-hmm. it's it's you know curating what's already out there and, and the brain power of the people in the community Mm-hmm. to deliver what is most important to people at that time so yeah yeah that's, that's, that's how I see it I'd, I'd love to dig into this couple of things in there like um I'd love to talk to you Lucy about uh community because I know you run a CrossGov community and then also um if there's any time left I'd love to just have a little bit of, now that you've kind of got that sort of stuff under your belts I'd love to to um, dig into a little bit of the research up strategies stuff but let's turn to to the community um so kind of uh so Lucy correct me if I'm wrong but you're um running a, a cross-government um community of practice is that right yeah how has so that cool. helped massively um so so it crowds UK government research operations community of practice um and it was myself and Imran Akhtar who's also in reops and DFE um he brought everybody together um and I guess like we have you know monthly meetings which are great we go and share a lot of knowledge um Mm -hmm. we've done stuff about recruitment our next one is about co-design and how reops can support co-design mm-hmm. um but it's all the bits in between it really like reops can seem like kind of a lonely profession um <laughs> you know you're you're there every day in your room or in your office thinking about how do I deliver this and you know what's the intricacies of this yes. idea that I'm having and it's so nice just to be able to pick up the phone and go what are you doing? What do you think about that? You know, yeah. what's your incentives policy? And again, yeah. I think it just goes back to the work's already out there mm-hmm. and you can all share and trade things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can have a chat with somebody about our consent templates yeah. and they can let me know about their recruitment ideas mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how they operate their recruitment panel. Um, so yeah, massively, massively beneficial. And yeah, I don't think there's anything really that no one's ever thought about if mm-hmm. someone says oh I'm really struggling with you know x yeah there's always people who can Sometimes. reply and say oh yeah. we've done a bit of thinking about that do you want to get in touch yeah. and that is massively massively helpful yeah yeah and and so Alice you're um you know you're the you're the creative side of the duo but also um <laughs> also thinking about um 
you know, because what I'm reflecting on when I'm hearing Lucy talk as well is about um, how taking that programmatic approach um, is really, you know, looking across the whole thing and the whole, the whole community is really helpful. When it comes to knowledge management, which was your um, specialisation, um, you know, one of the, the key things that research ops can deliver, of course, is that program-wide view of all of your research assets and that kind of stuff. Um, talk to me a little bit about how that has developed over time um, for for Department for Education. Has it been, you know, have you been able to bring that together and did you find something new? Interesting question. Um, so mm -hmm. when I first started in research ops, there was no sort of formal knowledge management for user researchers. However, we do have um, social researchers within the department who are focusing on more longitudinal uh, ethnographic kind of methods um, that sadly we don't have the time or budget and you know yeah. it, it, that's a good thing though because it's it it separates the two professions um and they were looking at how they did this and they had something called the research evidence directory uh -huh. um which was a tool that they i can't remember if they built it or they procured it or a little bit of a mix um uh -huh. but it was it was basically a a mapping tool whereby people could put evidence in and there were links between uh different chunks of data and uh -huh. pieces of evidence and the strength between those pieces of um, information and yeah. to, to sort of help social researchers to look at if we're going in this direction what will the impact be on this policy area for example oh yes um that sounds so really cool interesting. yeah really really interesting um and the the more digging we did we we realized it was sort of it was brilliant for social research because they have that longer term uh mm -hmm. scope to look at the impact of things long you know over a period of time whereas as we know user research is a little bit more rapid a little bit more i'm going to say throw away um uh -huh. not not in the sense that it's not valuable but it we move on very quickly yes so it was balancing um sort of it was looking at do we have the time to be putting all our evidence into something like that yeah. and actually does it pay off in the long run um, totally. and when we considered those things the answers really were no not right now um and then covid hit and right. uh, we had basically researchers across the board myself included were sort of redeployed so to speak to look exclusively at covid um, and how yeah. it was affecting policy in DfE and how DfE's policy was affecting children and teachers mm. and, mm -hmm. you know, multi-academy trusts and local authorities, all the different users that we we, we work with. And when COVID hit, that, that sort of shifted the focus onto insight management at a very uh covid program level so yeah. we looked you know there, i think there was 12 different strands of covid research and what we were finding was you know the, the common things we find across the organization in a bigger in a bigger sense um people were contacting the same users over and over uh it was it wasn't doing us any favors reputationally yeah. uh, resource management <laughs> yeah absolutely mm -hmm. that's that's the crux of it yeah mm. um so you know I inherited a very uh, skeletal um, insight management tool, which was just an uh -huh. Excel spreadsheet. Um, yeah. And I say skeletal in that it wasn't really, it wasn't built up to serve its purpose. It was sort of just thrown together to uh -huh. the box, so to speak. Uh -huh. It was, we yeah. need it all in one place, let's get it in one place. Uh, and that that's what I inherited. 
um, <clears throat> so I did some work with the research community and, and got to the crux of the needs around that and basically just iterated and iterated and iterated mm-hmm. throughout COVID. Mm-hmm. And we got to a point where we had a research library that people could refer to um, for COVID specific insight yeah. with tags and a taxonomy around it. And it was uh-huh. a useful tool within the scope of that program. Yeah. Um, and still to this day, we have, you know, there's like a cross gov COVID uh, recovery program that still mm-hmm. contact us about the insights within that library. Okay. Um, so it proved really that that particular tool, and I say tool, it was literally a Google sheet that yeah. we used. Yeah. But that was what we needed at that time. And yes. anyone who knows me knows I'm a massive spreadsheet lover. <laughs> so, you know, if it can be done in a spreadsheet, I'll you, you're talking in a spreadsheet. To- we're talking to research operations people we, we love spreadsheets exactly <laughs> absolutely so you know it was the right tool for the right time yeah and, and did that teach you term, anything do you think about about that programmatic view yeah massively yeah I mm. think the buy-in around that was was in many ways easier because it served a very specific purpose mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. were getting very frustrated because covid put a lens on user research in a way that had never really been there before we've always been vitally important but we were critically critically important and the speed and the the Mm. expectations around us were so much heavier during that time so I think people valued having that tool to go to and and refer to to reduce duplication which is a learning you know in itself Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know like we said at the very beginning that's not something new that we've learned we, we know that the thinking around insight management is there. And I know there are a couple of people talking about it at the conference. And I can't they will wait. be. Yeah. Can't We're going to be to looking that. at taxonomies and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> there you go. So like it's it's not a new thing, but it was a very new thing to us in research mm. in uh, DFE. And I think COVID provided this sort of time boxed era <laughs> in the evolution of REOPS that allowed us to prove the value of, of investing in that longer term which is what we're now doing so yeah. when I come back from maternity leave which is uh two weeks from now Ooh, um, <laughs> yeah um that will be my main focus yeah uh, that is the sort of strength that I will own within yeah. research ops yeah and so your the whole program is more or less still aligned to those eight pillars but you've got focuses on on particular parts of the pillars does that sound That's correct right. yeah, yeah we've, ma- we've managed to grow and scale with the, with the pillars uh, yeah. in the beginning they were a great basis for deciding what we needed to do yeah um, and now they're a really good way of structuring ourselves we know what we need yes. to do but the eight pillars give us the foundation to structure yeah. the team makeup yes um, and priorities so yeah yeah that makes sense. Fantastic. Well, it's been uh, such a pleasure to, to, to see you both and to hear about your story. Cannot wait to see more at the conference and, uh, and to learn. I've already learned uh, quite a bit and lots of I'll be, you know, taking, taking back to work next week. So um, thank you both so much for your time and we will see you in June in New York. Yeah. See you then. Thank you so much. How exciting. Thank you so much, Bridget. It's been lovely. Thank you. Thanks. And that's the end of today's podcast. Don't forget, you can find tickets to ReopsConf at reopsconf2022.joinlearners.com. It's on Wednesday, the 8th of June, in person in New York City or online. You can see Holly, myself, 
most of the REOPS board, our speakers, and of course, others in the community at the conference. We're so looking forward to seeing you all there really soon. And so we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you want to hear more, please subscribe or join us in the Research Ops community. If there's someone you'd like us to talk to, please let us know. We hope you'll join us next time at the Research Ops podcast, or we'll see you soon in the Slack.